is to be here, see your smiling faces, to get to shake your hands, give you a hug, whatever the case might be, and just to be in this congregation. I'm glad that you've made the effort to be here this day, and I, I hope and pray that, that our entire service will be a blessing. As long as we're making confessions, I'm making confessions, yes, that's right. Uh, it, it hits me at times when I realize the, our song leader and the songs that he leads and matches them up with the, the sermon topic, and then I hear Jerry's prayer this morning. I hear Kirk's message that he brought. And then I hear Taylor read from the Word of God. And I think, I sure hope I'm not a letdown from the greatness that has proceeded and the devotion that they have given. It's my own shortcoming. I often think of wonder if I'm using the gifts and talents that God has given me and to the best of my ability, and I always come back and say, no, I'm, I don't really, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And I, I pray that the things that we'll look at today will be that which brings us closer to one another and especially closer to God. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Amen. And if there are those here today who are not close to God, my prayer is that something in the message, not only that I speak, but the songs that we sing and the words that others have said and the prayers that are offered will make, it, will make you realize what a blessing it is to be in the Lord. The heart that loves more. Janine and I were sitting in front of the fireplace today and is this reading through this passage and I said this is the passage we're going to talk about in the sermon today. And I wonder as the Pharisee was asked that question, which one do you think loved more? He says, well, I suppose. Have you ever used that term? I suppose the one who had been forgiven more. And Jesus answered him, you've answered correctly. You're right. And so as we talk about the debt, there are three, three parts of this sermon today. As I always point out, your handy outline that is in the bulletin today. Mine's in old fogey font and color-coordinated. The three parts are the debt they could not pay, the depth of mercy they were shown, and the degree with which we love. As you examine the ways in which Jesus communicated his message to the people of the first century, it is interesting the ways of which, in the parables of Jesus, and within the con, uh, context of the parables, there are several times that Jesus talks about debt. Apparently, 2,000 years ago, people could understand debt. We 
understand debt today. We don't always manage it well, but we do understand debt. But even in the centuries before the first century, debt was a part of society. And so as he used that example, people didn't scratch their head and think, I have no idea what you're talking about. What is this debt you're speaking of? And here, 2,000 years later, almost, and we talk about debt, people say, I know what you're talking about, debt. Just a few short decades ago, the debt of the United States was under $1 trillion. And as the President of the United States wanted to bring people to an understanding of of just how deep in debt we were with... He said, if you stacked dollars, one on top of one another, and you made that stack as big as the Empire State Building, that you begin to understand the size of our debt. And now that we are some... I don't even know. There's a clicker you you can put on your app on your phone so that you can see how much that's clicking up. In the time between, I'm starting my sermon here at about 25 after 10, and when I finish at about 3 o'clock, we, oh, 11 o'clock, the debt will have gone up hundreds of millions of dollars, almost what I make in a month. But we're over 30 times what our debt was when Janine and I were first married. Not our debt. She manages money quite well. Thank you. But the debt of our, our United States. My guess is we're $30 trillion in debt. That's a lot of money. Oh, it's more than that? Okay. Well, keep your clicker going because it's going up. And you think of, well, for every man, woman, and child of what we would owe if we had to write a check here. Not just dad and mom, but The kids, too. In the, I can't even comprehend what that is. We think, well, that's that's not my debt. We're going to pass that on to the next generation. Because we just can't say no in our society. But that debt that they talk of money as being that debt. But remember when Jesus gave what we call the Lord's Prayer, it's really the Lord's Model Prayer, it in the original King James, it said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We think, does that mean he's forgiving us all of the money we owe? No, they had an understanding of what that meant. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Peter might have been, as we might imagine, sort of holding his lapel, puffing his chest out and saying, if I forgive seven times, that's pretty good, isn't it? Because according to Jewish tradition at the time, three times was good enough. Seven was, you're doing quite well. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of yours might say 70 times 7. Either way, it's a lot of forgiving going on there. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. We may come back to that one because he's not finished with that. 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. A denarii was a day's wages, but a talent was many, many times that. And some had figured that this was more than he could pay in several lifetimes. But he was forgiven that debt. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. You see, under the old law, and, and sometimes in our modern society, they will paint that picture that, oh, they had slaves in the Old Testament. You see, God is not a kind God because he approved of slavery. Not so fast. In Leviticus 25, 39, it says, If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall serve with you until the year of the Jubilee. You see, that was sort of a what we might call our modern social security. It was a welfare system for people so that they would not be sold as slaves to foreigners. But that debt which we owed, you could work it off. And as they say on the Ginsu knife commercials, but wait, there's more. In Exodus chapter 21, as Moses has received those commandments from the Lord and he's just finished giving the Ten Commandments, he says, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. He shall work those years. But wait, there's more. If he has served, you see the year of Jubilee came every 50 years. Well, if it's the 49th year of the Jubilee, and this man owes a tremendous amount of money, he works for that one year in the year of Jubilee, he is set free. No debt. But there was a caveat with that. It says, don't do things so that just that you'll get out of it the next year. Yet. But they were free at the end of the seven years, but also in the year of Jubilee, they were set free. But there were other types of debt as well for crimes that were served. We're familiar with the term an eye for an eye in Deuteronomy 19, beginning of verse 20. And the rest shall hear in fear, and you shall never again commit such an evil among you, said those who were punished for a crime. He says, your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, for those crimes that were committed. So those were debts that had to be paid, really in a physical sense. If you knocked out a tooth, they get to take one of your teeth, if you have them. Debt was big. People did not like to be in debt then. Listen to what it says in the days of King David. 1 Samuel chapter 22, beginning of verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. He was being chased by King Saul. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men, many of which later would become his mighty men. People that were in debt. 
And notice how those three work together. Distress, debt, and bitterness of soul in there. Debts in that. You could not pay. Imagine that. if you, It would work on you. As I understand, as we look at studies done today with the average marriage, you know what's right up there at the top of what causes arguments? No, it's Michigan versus Michigan State. That's what really calls right up. I'm joking. No one argues about that anymore. Not after last night. <coughs> it is debt and money problems. It's still up there. The psalmist David writes in Psalm 49, verse 7. As we talk about the depth of mercy that people have been shown by God. He says, truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. We might be able to ransom someone out of debt. We might be able to buy them as a, as a slave in which one day we would set them free. But also in the law, when they set them free, they were to give them their wages of what they had worked for. What a blessing. But he says, for a soul, it's too costly. No one can ransom someone's soul. Jesus would tell his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And I'm going to put the emphasis there, and sometimes you can put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. But here it is on the correct syllable. And give his life as a ransom for many. Paul would tell Timothy exactly the same thing. For there is one God, he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And not only did Jesus tell us that, Paul tells us that, but Peter as well. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 17, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, the psalmist says the ransom of his life is costly and can never suffice. There's nothing that I could have done to ransom another person's soul, no matter how much I would have wanted to. I could get them out of debt, but I could never ransom their soul. But here we are told that that price for my soul, which no one could pay, not even me, Christ ransomed me. He paid that ultimate price. Jesus reiterates that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You get the idea, don't you? That we may 
get into a hefty debt, and we may file, I'm not sure, a, a man who, was, who wrote a book on finances, uh, but apparently he left out chapter 7, chapter 11, and chapter 13 when he wrote about that. Those are things that we can do to get ourselves out of debt and be debt-free. Well, it might follow us the rest of our lives based on our credit, but it is a way that we could get out from underneath the financial debt. But the debt for our sins, no one can pay for that debt themselves, nor can anyone else pay it for us. But Jesus alone paid that debt. We come back to Leviticus 25 and 10. As we look at those types and anti-types, the shadow and the reality. See, in the shadow, we come back to the old law. In Leviticus 25.10, And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. We don't often use that term jubilee anymore unless you have an old Ford tractor. I think they were called jubilees. He says, it shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. You see, in that year, everything reverted back. If you had sold your property because of a debt, you would get it back. And some people will say, well, that's not fair. We hear that same terminology today when they talk about forgiving people of their college debt. And they say, well, that's not fair. I had to pay my debt. They should pay. That was the same attitude that the Pharisees had, by the way when they realized that those lowly sinners, tax collectors, could be forgiven their debts. Farther on in Leviticus 25, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. Remember, we read that earlier. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then you shall go out from you, he and his children with you, and go back to his own clan and return to the possessions of his fathers. You think, well, that's, that's awful kind. That's such a beautiful picture that's being painted in the Old Testament. But it was there for a reason. And it was the shadow and I don't have a bright enough light here to show what the shadow is, but if I did, I would show this, this shadow against the wall, which you can see, but that's not my hand there. That's just a shadow. There's the reality right there. Well, that shadow of the year of Jubilee, well, let's read what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 4, beginning of verse 16. Jesus returns to his hometown, to his home synagogue, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, and there's a lot to be said there when he's saying that is his custom, but we'll, that'll be another sermon. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
that shadow that had for centuries been read in the temple, in the synagogues, and Jesus unrolls that scroll. And remember, this was a big scroll. It's one of the largest they had. He unrolls it to that spot. And it was no accident that he should read that passage because he was declaring and proclaiming to them, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you see, once it's been fulfilled, there's no reason to keep on fulfilling it. A year of jubilee that had been the shadow for them, he says, now it's come true. But he wasn't talking about those debts and coming back and owning your own land again. He was talking about that year of favor, that year of liberty from sin. For he was going to pay that price with his life on the cross. And we've done an awful lot of legwork to get to this point. So we've talked about debt and, and the, the price that's been paid, and it comes down to you and I as we hear about this and thinking, wow, that's a pretty good price. My whole debt could be wiped out? Verse 42 it says, When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon, who was the Pharisee at whose home he was, answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. But wait, there's more. Now Jesus is going to explain to him, and I wonder if the Pharisee is going to grasp what he's about to tell him about his own life. And Jesus understood human nature. And I've wondered to myself, is it true that if someone has been forgiven even more than I have been forgiven, he will love God more than I will? And I ask myself that question a lot. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Because Simon had said, if he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she was. And you know exactly what he meant by saying that. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And here's the point to where we, our own soul, and say, I wonder... And I can't ask this question for you. You have to answer it for yourself. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And I wonder if we grasp the debt of which we have been forgiven. I'm not a bad person. Remember, there were some people that would say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. You ever hear anybody say that? I haven't murdered anybody. 
I haven't stolen. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And you sort of get the impression that, well, I'm glad Jesus died for me, but I really didn't do all that much. After all, look at this person. Remember that story that Jesus told about the two people praying in the temple? I'm glad I'm not like that guy. That person in that condition was unable to love much because he could not see his own debt that he owed for his soul. I wonder what that would look like in action. Fortunately, we have it in our scripture. In Luke chapter 19, we have, and I wonder, I know that several people are going to sing this song in the back of their mind as I read this story. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. You see, he was a wee little man. I know you're singing that song now. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And they being those who were rather devout who were rather pious, who rather thought highly of themselves, those who could not love much. They all grumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, I'll stop right there and wonder, what is going on in Zacchaeus' mind at this point? Had he overheard people as he's walking by and saying, He's going to eat in that sinner's house. I don't know about the man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. See, he was doing what the law had said. If you have stolen from someone, you don't just give back what you've stolen. You have to give more back. And the exact number has been disputed. Was it fourfold? Was it twofold? Was it sevenfold? But the fact is that Zacchaeus understood the depth of his depravity. Half of my goods I give to the poor. Remember, he was rich. Contrast that with the rich young ruler when Jesus said, There's one thing you lack. Because to that point, the rich young ruler had said, well, I've, I've done everything that's required of me in the law. So this is one thing. There's one thing that was in his heart that kept him from being a true disciple of the Lord's. And it was his money. But not Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was rich. But he was willing to depart with that. Up to half. If you want to know what that up to half means, go back into the Old Testament, to the book of Esther. Up to half my kingdom I'll give you. That's a pretty good kingdom there. And Jesus' reaction in verse 9 of Luke 19. Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. You see, he not only believed it, but he was willing to put his faith into action. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost.
I don't wonder what it looks like to be unthankful and ungrateful. Well, fortunately, we have that in Scripture as well. In Luke chapter 17, we are told, beginning in verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along, he being Jesus, passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, which is what the law required. You could not approach a leper, they could not approach you. Who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And if you know anything about leprosy, if you could talk, it would just be barely. But but it says, lifted up their voices. And you could only imagine what they were trying to say to him. Because the voice was one of the things that suffered with leprosy. And when he saw them, in verse 14, he was healed. Face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? We're not ten cleansed. And wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall of their place when they returned to their humble abode, having been healed? And we might ask them a question, well, who healed you? Oh, just some guy. Did you go back and thank him? I don't think I had to. (laughs) I'm healed. I don't know. But wouldn't you like to have the conversation with one of those nine? We see the one who, when he realized he was a Samaritan. Samaritan is not having a relationship with the Jews. But he went back and thanked him. But I wonder, what, what does that have to do with us? Fortunately, we can learn a little bit more. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning verse 28, talking about another situation with debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. Remember, we began this passage earlier. Went out to one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Remember, he owed 10,000 talents, more than you and I will make in a couple months, a couple lifetimes. He owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Which is exactly what he could do. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Remember, their master had forgiven him all that debt. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Now we're beginning to draw that circle in tighter and tighter to us. Because it's one thing to talk about the United States owing, what is it up to, Greg? 31. Thirty-one trillion. I'll write a check for it. It's one thing, not us. It is, but we don't think of it as being ours. It's another thing to, to hear of others who owe a debt. It's one thing to hear of ourselves who owe a debt, and we think, well, I, I can pay that off in time. But then we hear of our debt being wiped out completely. 
In the sermon, what we know of is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 14. For, and I have this underlined, bolded, and in red. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In Luke chapter 6, beginning verse 35, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. That's hard, I know. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And Paul, as he is sitting in prison for crimes he did not commit, writes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice how we've made that transition from money and those things of the physical nature to those debts that perhaps we have owed others, that we have offended, and they have forgiven us? And have we been in kind as forgiving to them? And then we realize we were forgiven of our sins. And we may be like that man who was forgiven the 10,000 talents, a debt he could never pay. And then we hold some minuscule grudge against some Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander put away from you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. A debt, as the psalmist says, a ransom that no one can pay. And think about the amount of love that I'm able to give. I know sometimes that I don't love as much as others. Do you know how I know that? Because when I read this passage, I think, I still got a little bit of grudge against someone. Do you know how I know, how I, know I have a grudge against someone? Because I keep talking about it. If that grudge and that debt's been paid, you don't talk about it. You just let it go. But listen to people sometimes when they talk about someone who has wronged them in the past. And when they keep talking about it, they have not moved on. Trust me, it's true. It's true. Examine yourself. If I'm wrong, please tell me, and I'll repent of that. But I have found when people keep talking about others who have wronged them, they have not moved on. They are still holding that debt against someone else, even though if they're a Christian, their debt has been wiped clean. You know where that puts us? It puts us in danger. For if you forgive others or trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now this is Jesus talking. This is the Word. This is God talking. But if you do not forgive others or trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Does that sound pretty serious to you? I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty serious to me. 
When I think about if I hold someone a grudge or a debt, that's pretty serious, especially considering that I have been forgiven that quote-unquote 10,000 talent debt. And I'm going to hold that little teeny, teeny nickel's worth of debt. Those who are forgiven little, love little. And when you realize how much you have been forgiven, don't compare yourself to someone else. Only look at your own debt and realize the depravity that you have been called from and how much you are forgiven. And you will love much. And after all of this, it was mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that there might be someone here who is not in a relationship with their Savior, who had never taken those steps to say, I want everything forgiven. I don't want to be in debt at all. You can be debt-free by the time you walk out those doors if you believe that Jesus died for your sins to pay that ransom that you cannot pay for yourself and are willing to confess that he is going to be Lord of your life and repent of your sins and turn from it and be ready to submit yourself to baptism, to wash away your sins as Paul was told there in Damascus. Be raised from that water to walk in newness of life, debt-free. If I were to offer to pay all of your debts for something physical, you might line up at the door and say, okay, no matter what it is, would you do the same for your debts you owe to God for your sins? If you have not done that, or if there's any need that we can help you with this day, make it known as together we stand and sing.